Well, I invite you to turn with me again in your Bibles to the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find it on page 1044. If you're a guest with us, we've been working through this section of the Gospel of Matthew, and we've come to Matthew chapter 16, which I would argue is maybe the most important chapter in the Gospel of Matthew. It is Jesus' teaching on what it means to be one of his followers. It is his teaching on what it means uh, for him to build the church. And it's his teaching on our place in the body of Christ. And it's a significant passage. And the section that we're in, this last section in chapter 16, is a very dense section of Scripture. There's much truth here for us to consider and so today it may even feel more like teaching and less like preaching, but I'm going to encourage you to keep your Bible open in your lap and I'm going to be pointing you back to the text over and over again because I don't want you to miss anything that Jesus is teaching us in this passage of Scripture. And so I'm going to speak for a few minutes on this subject, the cost of discipleship. And we'll begin reading in verse 21 of Matthew 16. And from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. James Montgomery Boyce said that there is a fatal defect in the life of Christ's church, and that defect is a lack of true discipleship. The Bible uses the phrase, follow me, throughout its gospels. And this phrase was spoken by Jesus 19 times in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In addition, there are numerous references in which one person or another is said to have followed Christ. And what is clear from the text of Scripture is that discipleship is not a second step in the life of a Christian. As if one can first believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior and somehow later on in their life choose to listen to Christ and to follow Him and be one of His disciples. From beginning to end, the Bible is clear 
that to be a disciple of Jesus is to be a Christian. It is to know Jesus Christ as both your Lord and Savior at the same time. It is to be one who is in constant followership of the Lord Jesus Christ. The context of this passage before us gives us the heart of true Christian discipleship. It is contrary to the self-centered false gospels that are abounding in contemporary Christianity today. It leaves no room for the gospel of Gideon in which God is viewed as a genie in a bottle who jumps to provide our every whim and our every wish. It closes the door to the gospel of health and wealth, which asserts that if a believer is not healthy and prosperous, he has not simply exercised his divine rights, or he is not exercising enough faith to claim his blessing in his healing. This passage of Scripture undermines the gospel of self-esteem because it demands humility, it demands brokenness, and it demands repentance. We hear all the time today what one should get and gain by living by the principles of God's Word. And yet Jesus talked over and over about what you and I must give to be a true disciple. The New Testament teaches that before there's a crown, there's a cross. That before glory, there is suffering. That before reward, there is sacrifice. And that the heart of Christian discipleship is giving before gaining. It's losing before winning. In this passage of Scripture, Jesus teaches all of us clearly the cost of what it means to be one of his disciples. These verses, listen carefully to me this morning, church. These verses that we've read together teach us what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. These verses teach us what it means to be a Christian. These verses teach us what it means to say that we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And listen carefully to me. There is no genuine Christianity today apart from the truths of these verses that we've read this morning. This is Jesus' definition of what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be one of his followers. And as you examine this text, you will see the cost of discipleship. You will see that what Jesus teaches discipleship really is, is contrary to everything that the contemporary modern church is saying today. Now last week we looked at the path of discipleship in verses 21 to 23 where Peter was confronted by Jesus after Peter tried to keep Jesus from going to the cross. And this morning we pick up right after the path of discipleship and in verse 24 we see the picture of discipleship. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself 
and take up his cross and follow me. According to Jesus, true discipleship calls for full surrender and total commitment. That to withhold our lives from Christ in an effort to save them for ourselves is not true discipleship. It is living a life that only we can manufacture in our own strength and power. But to surrender our lives to Christ is to enter into a life filled to overflowing with the amazing blessings from a God who comes to live his life in us and through us. And this life that Jesus is calling us to is not a life that is free from challenges or struggles, but it is a life that is full of the power to overcome these challenges and struggles. It is a life that is filled with the power to grow us and to honor God and to impact others and His kingdom for all eternity. Now you'll notice in verse 24 that after Jesus rebuked Peter in verse 23 for not setting his mind on things of God but on the things of men, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me. And when his disciples heard that phrase, if anyone would come after me, it reminded them of two and a half years earlier when Jesus went to them one by one and told them to drop what they were doing and to abandon everything and follow him. And these disciples had left their families, they had left their friends, they had left their occupations, they had left everything to follow Jesus. And the phrase, come after me, is emphasizing this initial surrender when a person comes to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation and their old life is, of sin is exchanged for a new life in Christ, for a new life of righteousness. And Jesus is teaching his disciples and he's teaching us with this phrase, this opening phrase, that the character of a disciple is found in a life of daily obedience to him. And that's why he uses the phrase in verse 24, let him, if anyone wants to come after me, if anyone wants to follow me, let him do this. And what is he to do? What are you to do? What am I to do? Jesus, in verse 24, gives three clear commands. And they're all centered in this phrase, let him. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to follow me, you need to do one, two, and three. And the other thing that I want you to see in this text, before we get into the three requirements, is that all three of these requirements are in the present tense language. It means that they're to be followed continuously. That this is continual action repeated over and over in the life of the disciple. So what are the pictures of discipleship? Well, the first one is daily denial. If anyone would come after Jesus, let him deny himself. 
the first picture of what it means to be a disciple is self-denial. And Jesus makes it clear in this verse that any person who wants to follow him, who is not willing to deny themselves, cannot claim to be one of his disciples. Now the word deny is a powerful word in the context not only of this passage, but of the entire Gospel of Matthew. It literally means to completely disown, to utterly separate oneself from someone. It is the word that Jesus used in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 34 to describe how Peter would go on to deny him three times while Jesus was being questioned by the high priest. And each time that Peter was confronted about whether or not he knew Jesus, Matthew says in his gospel that he denied Christ, completely disowned him. And in the context of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, Jesus is saying that if you're going to follow him, if you're going to be one of his disciples, you must completely separate yourself from him. Well, what's he talking about? How do you separate yourself from Christ? It's to utterly disown yourself, to refuse to acknowledge yourself above Christ. He's literally saying refuse to have any association or companionship with yourself, with your sinful, rebellious life. The Apostle Paul described this self-life that Jesus is referring to over and over in his writings. And he referred to it as the old self that is yet to be redeemed when we're glorified. He described it this way in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22. But put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through the deceitful desires of your life. Put off your old life. You used to live a certain way before you claimed to have come to know Christ. You used to think a certain way before Christ. You used to talk a certain way before Christ. You used to act a certain way before Christ. And now that you're claiming to follow Christ, all of that stuff in your past should be denied. It should be separated. It should no longer control and influence you. He said it this way in Romans chapter 8 and verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And Paul is teaching that our soul and our spirit have been transformed as Christians through the gospel, but we're still living in a sinful tent, a sinful body of flesh and our sinful bodies of flesh are groaning, waiting, longing to be redeemed when we get our glorified body. And so as you're following Christ as one of his disciples, you deny your sinful flesh. You deny the desires of your old way of living. You separate yourself completely from that kind of life. Self-denial. 
Let me tell you what self-denial does not mean. To deny yourself does not mean to deny things. We tend to think of denying self as engaging in little acts of heroism by not spending too much money at the store for things that we want. I've denied myself. We think that denying ourselves is passing on a second round at the buffet. We think that denying ourselves is not ordering dessert. That is not self-denial according to Jesus. Do you know what self-denial does mean? The Bible is clear about it. To deny self is to agree with what the Apostle Paul said to the Romans in Romans chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. And listen carefully to what he said. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing. Can you relate to that? How many times have you found yourselves over and over doing what you don't want to do, what you end up hating that you've done, and struggling to do what you really desire to do? That is the context of self-denial, that nothing good dwells in my sinful flesh. And that the good that I want to do, I struggle to do it because I always end up doing what's wrong. Denying self. To deny self is to have a genuine conviction that one has nothing in their humanness to commend themselves to God. That apart from the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is nothing to commend ourselves to God. A.W. Pink said, growth in grace is growth downward. It is the forming of a lower estimate of ourselves. It is a deepening realization of our nothingness. It is a heartfelt recognition that we are not worthy of the least of the mercies of God. It's the opposite of pride. It's, it's the opposite of thinking that we've got it all together and that we're doing God a favor by our service and our devotion to Him. No, when you are fully denying yourself, it brings you low. It crushes you into humility before a holy God. Number three, to deny self is to have no confidence in the flesh. That's why Paul said in Romans 13, 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. You put off the desires of your sinful flesh and you put on the desires of Christ. Number four, to deny self is to subject yourself entirely to the lordship of Jesus Christ. It is to completely reject your self-will, your self-sufficiency, your self-seeking, and your self-preservation. That all of the issues and dilemmas in life will find their resolution in this one truth. That Jesus Christ is Lord over our lives. Friends, this is the heart of discipleship. You don't get to say that I want Christ as my Savior as a form of fire insurance to keep you out of hell. And then one day decide that you want more of Jesus than that and then subsequently make Him Lord. The Bible is clear that to deny yourself 
is to recognize that Jesus Christ is Lord of all from beginning to middle to end. And that you are not the one who gets to decide whether he is Lord. The reality is, Jesus Christ is Lord whether you ever recognize that or not. And one day, the Bible says that every single person in heaven and on earth and under the earth will bow down before Jesus Christ and will declare that he is Lord. So he is Lord whether you ever recognize it or not. But to claim to be a Christian, you can't say he's my Savior and then later make him your Lord. He is both Lord and Savior at the same time time to deny self is to say no to self William Barclay said to deny oneself means in every moment of life to say no to self and to say yes to God to deny oneself means finally once and for all to dethrone yourself and to enthrone God to deny oneself means to obliterate self as the dominant principle of life and to make God as the ruling principle of life. The ruling passion of life becomes God. He says that is self-denial. Number six, to deny self is to come to the point where you say what happens to me in the fulfillment of the will of God is not the most important issue. That you're less concerned about what happens to you and you're more concerned about obeying the will of God and exalting the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. That is true self-denial. I found David Jeremiah to be extremely helpful as I was thinking about how I could relate to you this idea of denying self. He said, when we try to live our lives in our own strength, we ultimately fail. And if we don't fail, we fall very short of God's purposes for us. And when we operate in the flesh and fail to deny ourselves, three things are always true, he says. Number one, we will always lack the power of the Spirit and will suffer from fatigue. Number two, we will always lack the vision of the Spirit and will suffer from frustration. And number three, we will always lack the sustaining ministry of the Spirit and will suffer from failure. Frustration, fatigue, failure. He goes on and he says, do these consequences sound familiar? Do they? You will always suffer these results when you tackle life on your own strength. But when tragedy strikes, an illness, financial hardship, rebellious children, you turn to God. And when you feel helpless, inadequate, and weak, the Spirit of God gives you the strength. All of a sudden, you realize something dynamic is going on that you have never experienced before. It's not your power, it's God's power. And the Apostle Paul admits that if it takes weakness to get God's power in life, he is better off weak than he is when he is strong, because when you are weak, then you are truly strong, because you have God's strength. John Calvin, the great reformer, said the sum of the life of a Christian is self-denial. 
He said that self-denial erases from our minds the yearning to possess, the desire for power, and the favor of men. That self-denial uproots ambition and all craving for human glory and other more secret plagues. And the Christian feels within himself it is with God he has to deal with throughout his life. And so he denies himself and he looks to God in all things. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. That you deny yourself and you surrender to Christ no matter what. And it forces us to ask ourselves, how are we really doing with self-denial? Are we really denying ourselves? Are we truly saying no to sin and yes to God? Friends, this, when we really understand what Jesus is saying here, this is hard. This is not popular. This is not feel-good Christianity 101. And some of you may even be saying to yourselves this morning, this is not what I came to church for. Which is probably all the more reason why you need to hear what Jesus is saying to you today. Self-denial. Second picture. Devoted duty. And take up his cross. Now, this simple phrase, take up his cross, is full of meaning. And I've tried to simplify it as best I can and walk you through it. I want you to know that this command to take up your cross is personal. Look at what the text says. Take up his cross. And this phrase, take up or bear the cross, occurs five times in the Gospels from Jesus' own lips. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 38, listen to what he said. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me, listen, is not worthy of me. If you thought self-denial was bad, this is even harder. That if you're not willing to pick up your cross and follow Jesus, he said, you are not worthy of him. Luke chapter 14 and verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Did you hear that? Cannot be my disciple. Without the cross, there is no following Christ. And without following Christ, there is no life at all. We have been given an impression that people can enter the Christian life through the wide gate of believing in Jesus. And then later on in their life, go through the narrow gate of the cross for a deeper relationship with Jesus. But I will remind you this morning what Jesus said of himself. That there is a wide gate. 
And there are many people who enter through that gate and go down through that road. And that wide gate and that wide road always leads to destruction. And that there is a narrow gate and a narrow road. And everyone who enters that gate and on that road, which are few, according to Jesus, leads to life. And the way to the narrow gate is the way to the cross. That's why Walter Chantry said, listen to this statement. This may be the most powerful statement I say today. All who are saved have entered into the fraternity of the cross. We have entered into the fraternity of the cross. That there's no other way to enter than through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And entering through the cross is personal. You must take up your cross. No one else can take it up for you. It's yours to bear. It's yours to carry. And this command is purposeful. He says, take up his cross. When Jesus talks about taking up the cross, he's not talking about the common trials and hardships and burdens and problems that all of us experience in life. Jesus isn't talking about living with an unsaved husband. He's not talking about living with a difficult wife. He's not talking about living with a tough mother-in-law. It's not physical ailments and pains that we experience as we get older. He's not talking about emotional problems or relational problems that we experience. When he is talking about the cross, he is talking about far more than coping with these problems of life. The cross for Jesus Christ was the ultimate expression of obedience to his Father. And willingness to take up your cross is a picture of ultimate obedience to Christ. It is the mark of a true disciple. For a disciple to take up the cross is to live in utter obedience, no matter what the consequences are. To take up the cross is an act of the will. It means you're willing to pay any price for the sake of Christ. To take up the cross is being willing to endure shame. It is willing to endure embarrassment. It is willing to endure reproach. It is willing to re endure rejection. It is willing to endure persecution. It is willing to be arrested. It is willing to be martyred for the sake of Christ. That is taking up the cross. To take up the cross is to comfort the sick and comfort the afflicted. It is to give sacrificially to the poor. It is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone who may turn hostile to you and may reject you and may reject your message. That is taking up the cross. To take up the cross is to face the loss of anything that may be precious to you. The loss of your money, the loss of your future, the loss of your comfort, the loss of your time, the loss of relationships. To take up the cross is to say yes to Jesus Christ over the difficult and the hard things of life, no matter what the consequences, for the sake of Christ and for the sake of his kingdom. This, friends, is not cultural Christianity. This, friends, is not a commitment of convenience. 
And I would submit to you this morning that commitment to Christ based on convenience, commitment to Christ based on the culture, those days are over. A line is being drawn in the sand right before our very eyes, which makes this command and principle from Jesus all the more relevant. It's really begging the question, are you willing to cross the line and stand up for Jesus and for the things of his kingdom? To take up the cross is to abandon your plans. It's to abandon your resources. And you say, Pastor, how can you say that? It's very simple. The cross had one purpose and one purpose only. It was an instrument of death. And it delivered a slow, painful, certain death. And when you and I deny ourselves and take up our cross, we are declaring death to ourselves, to self-advancement, to self-promotion, to self-interest, and to self-dependence. We are dying to ourselves so that we can live for Christ. And this taking up the cross, it's perpetual. In Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, Jesus said that you have to take up your cross daily if you're going to follow him. That it's not enough to pick it up today. Tomorrow when you wake up, you need to pick it up again. You need to deny yourself and take up your cross tomorrow. It's painful. Taking up the cross is painful. The cross of Jesus' day is not the cross of our day. It wasn't a beautiful, polished gold or silver ornament. It was an instrument made of rough wood, crudely shaped. To pick up the cross hurt the hands. To carry it on one's back meant to work and drive splinters into the flesh of the back of the person who carried it. The people who carried a cross and were hung on the cross in Jesus' day was a vivid reality to those who saw it. It was a reminder of an instrument of execution reserved for the worst enemies. And do you know that it is estimated that some 30,000 crucifixions took place under Roman authority? And when Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24, deny yourself and take up your cross. They knew exactly what he was talking about. They, have, they had a vivid and clear picture in their mind of a poor condemned soul walking down a road carrying the instrument that would ultimately take their life. And that's what happened to Jesus. And he willingly took it. He willingly laid down his life. And do you know what that means for you and me? To be a disciple of Jesus Christ is to deny yourself, and it is to take up your cross. And it is to go, listen carefully, on a march of death to yourself daily until you are in glory with Christ. It is the path of discipleship. Friends, if Jesus had to carry a cross, who are you to think that you won't? 
Who are you to think that you can somehow avoid it? Has Joel Osteen convinced you that you can do that? Do you really think you can receive what he's trying to sell that is anti-gospel? Do you really think that if Christ suffered, that if you're one of his followers, you can escape this life without suffering? What gospel are you believing this morning? It's not the Bible's gospel. It's man's gospel. It's not true. If Jesus bore a cross, you're going to have to bear a cross. I'm going to have to bear a cross. The road to heaven leads through the cross. And it comes. It comes with a price. Would you remember the context of verse 24? Peter just confronted Jesus and rebuked him. And Jesus was showing his disciples what must take place. And Peter said, no, Lord, you'll never go to the cross. And Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. You are speaking Satan's words. The path of discipleship is the path to the cross. And not only will I go to the cross, if you're going to be my disciples, you're going to go to the cross. And do you, do you remember, do you remember what happened to Peter on the beach beside the sea when Jesus restored him? And he asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Do you remember what else Jesus said that day? In John 21, verses 18 and 19, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after Jesus said this to Peter, he said, follow me. Do you know what Jesus did on that day? He said, Peter, you know what's going to happen to you one day? They're going to take you like they took me. And they're going to spread you out. And they're going to put you on a cross. And you're going to die. So follow me. Do you know what church history says? Church history says that Peter did die on a cross through crucifixion. But he was asked to hang upside down. Because he didn't feel he was worthy to die exactly the way Christ did. Peter had a cross. Jesus had a cross. What about you? Are you somehow more special? Are you somehow different than them? Friend, you have to ask yourself this morning, do you long to hear prosperity? Do you long to hear joy? Do you long to hear all that is good and comfortable? Do you reject hardship and suffering and difficulty and death? Friends, my number one job as your shepherd is to prepare you for eternity. 
to get you to see through the words of Scripture, not my words, the words of Scripture, that eternity is real, and death is real, and heaven is real, and hell is real. And that you need to embrace the truth and not be deceived by the comfortable false messages of the world. You must, as a Christian, have a category for suffering. You must, as a Christian, have a category for hardship. You must, as a Christian, have a category for the cross. You're not believing the true gospel if you don't. If everything is comfortable here, why do you need glory? Everything will never be comfortable here. That's why creation is crying out. That's why your bodies are crying out. That's why your souls are longing for Jesus to return. No, the answer is the true gospel. A message of hardship, a message of suffering, a message of death that will ultimately lead to eternal comfort, eternal joy, eternal prosperity. That is the true gospel. You deny yourself and you take up your cross. Well, thirdly, it's diligent devotion. He says at the end, and follow me, only after you deny yourself, only after you take up your cross, can you truly follow Jesus. You see the progression of thought? A true disciple is submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and they deny themselves. A true disciple takes up their cross daily in sacrificial living and obedience to Christ. And that's why John said in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6, whoever says he abides in Christ ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Denial, cross-taking, Jesus said in John 8 31 to the Jews who had believed in him if you abide in my word you are truly my disciples follow me listen listen to this next verse that I'm going to read to you this morning oh please listen unbeliever hear these words children hear these words students college students hear these words from Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21 not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. He goes on to say, on that day, many will say that they've done mighty things for me. They've done great miracles on my behalf. And I will say to them on that day, depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. Do you know why? Do you know why he never knew them? Because they defined what it meant to follow Christ differently than Jesus did. That's why. This is what it means to follow Christ. This is what it means to pursue Him. This is what it means to walk in His steps. G Peter was trying to prevent Jesus from doing this. He had a different definition of discipleship. And Jesus corrected it. That's why in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21, 
Peter said, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you would follow in his steps. Do you see the transformation of Peter? Lord, far be it from you to go to the cross. Get behind me, Peter. You are Satan's instrument. You're thinking like the world instead of like God. Peter, this is what it means to follow me. You'll deny yourself. You'll take up your cross daily, and then you'll follow me. And Peter, they're going to crucify you just like they did me. And Peter says, This is what it means, friends, to follow Christ, to share in Christ's suffering. This is a picture of a Christian. I wonder, is it a picture of your life? Will you say on that day, Lord, Lord, and he will say to you, I never knew you because you had a different definition of what it meant to be his follower. I pray that if you don't know Christ today, you would turn from your sin and self-denial and turn to Christ and trust solely in him and all he's done for you on the cross, and that you would truly begin to follow him. You say, Pastor, how do I know I've done that? Well, I've said this over and over through the years, so it doesn't hurt to say it one more time, does it? If you're like me, you forget, so we all need repetition, right? Here's how you know, friends. Here's how you know. Your life's different. It's not perfect. It's different. It's different. You have different desires. You look different, you act different, you talk different, you think different. You wonder what happened to the old you because you've become so different. And, and what I want to say to you this morning, I'm going to stop. Close my Bible, that means I'm going to stop. Maybe. <laughs> if your life still looks the same today as it did when you said that you said yes to Jesus, you need to go to this passage of Scripture and make sure you've truly said yes to Jesus. Because if you're still doing the same old things that you've always done, if you're still talking the same old way you've always talked, if you're still treating your husband or your wife the same old way you've always treated them, you need changed. And I'm telling you that out of love this morning. I, I know you need changed if you're acting like that. So come to Jesus and be changed. Let's stand for prayer.